Acts chapter 7, verse 54, through chapter 8, verse 3. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, and stopped their ears, and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentations over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Good morning. How are we doing this morning? Man, that last song... Lights me up, right? Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. We're glad you're here hanging out with us at Genesis. If you're, uh, this is your first time with us, we're especially thankful you're here. I would love to meet you at the end of service. My name's Mike. I'm one of the elders. I also have the honor of standing up here most weeks and, and sharing from the scriptures. And so I'm excited to do that with you this morning. Um, and uh, I would love to meet you at the end of the service if, if uh, you would like to do that, just to get to know you. But we're glad you're here. Thankful that you're hanging out with us today. Uh, I'm going to name four names and see if anybody in here knows. Like, these four people have something in common. Let's see if anybody in here, I might have a prize for you if you, if you could get this right, all right? Let, let's see, all right? Here's the four names. Uh, Crispus Attucks, Daniel Ho- Hoff, Joseph William Guyton, and Robert Moffat Losey. Anybody got a guess for me? They are all men. That is a correct answer. That is not the answer I was looking for. They are all men. That's a good, good one. Anybody else got anything for me? They are not martyrs, but we're, we're closer. What's that? Somebody in the back, what'd you say? They are not from the Bible. Those are very uh, English, British type American type names, just so you know. But that was a good guess. I like that guess. Man, I was going to give a Krispy Kreme donut away if anybody could come up with it. All right, so let's start with this. These are, here's the first thing they have in common. These are four American soldiers. All right? And here's what they hold in common. These are the first men to die in the revolutionary, civil, World War I and World War II on behalf of our country. These four men gave their lives for our country, but they were the first ones to die in each of these wars. You can go look up their names and just study a little bit about them, but they all lost their lives, and their death didn't mark the beginning of the war, but it really marked the beginning of American soldiers, American men and women who laid down their lives. Just this last week, we honored Memorial Day and thought about, uh, hopefully you pause at some point in time of day and thought about the lives that were given for uh, the freedoms that we have and, and, and had a moment of thanksgiving for uh, the sacrifice they made for our freedom. 
And so these, these men are among them, but they were the first to die in each war. Well, to this morning, we're going to talk about another first death, another person who laid down his life, and he was the first. We are reading this and, and wrestling with the story of Stephen, who is the first Christian martyr. Now, in our context, we use the word martyr as a word that means somebody who dies for the cause of their faith who lays down their life, very specifically in Christianity, for the gospel, who, who is, is in the passion of loving Jesus, ends up sideways with a group of people, and is, is killed because he or she will not deny Jesus. He is the first. Christian history has thousands, if not millions of people over the years who have died for their faith, and history is telling us that more people are dying now for the cause of Christ than at any time in history. In fact, the statistics tell us that more people died in the 20th century for, for the cause of Christ than the first 19 centuries before that, and more people have died for their faith in the 21st century than died in the 20th century for the cause of Jesus. There are more people becoming Christians, and at the same time, there are more people who are dying for their faith. And I would challenge you, uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, to, to gain access to some place that is telling you about the martyrs. Fox's Book of Martyrs. There's an old book that, that came out called Jesus Freaks. Uh, th there's a bunch of, several other books out there. There are websites that will tell you uh, from Voice of the Martyrs is, is, is probably the best one. Uh, I get an email every Friday telling me stories of people who have either died or who are being persecuted for their faith and asking to pray for those people. Uh, and, and so there's ways to do this. But the word martyr, as we study it here, is a word that became associated with people who gave their lives for the cause of Christ. But it's a really interesting word because in the Greek, in the original language that the New Testament was written in, the word martyr actually is the word that just means a witness. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8 it says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. The word there is martyrs, martyrian, martyrs. It, so, so the word martyr in the text means somebody who is a witness. But what happens is the early church came to understand that, that, that living for Jesus during the reign of the Roman Empire, living for Jesus during the, the persecution that broke out here in Jerusalem under Judaism who was attacking Christianity, that they had... They, had, um, they were getting shot from all sides, and to stand faithfully and to be a witness for Christ meant putting your life on the line. It meant giving up everything for the cause of Christ and realizing that you were living something for something that was bigger than yourself. And so, so this morning we encounter Stephen, and he becomes the first, but he's not the last. Second century Christian bishop, a guy named Tertullian, a quote is associated with his name that says this. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. What he is saying is basically this, that throughout Christian history, early in Christianity, first 200 years, this was definitely true, but it's been true for every century since then, that the more the culture hears the message of Jesus and, and the call to leave your own idols and leave your own little gods and to pursue Jesus. The more the culture hears that and becomes angry and seeks to stomp it out by persecution, suffering, beatings, and eventually taking the life of Christians. The more that has happened, the more it has caused the gospel to explode and spread. And so, so the larger quote that Tertullian said that really 
gleans this, the blood of the martyrs of the church. He's, he wrote this in his book, Apology, that was a defense of Christianity in the first, uh, at the end of the second century. He says this, but do your worst. He's speaking to those who want to persecute and, and, and kill Christians. Do your worst. Rack your inventions for tortures for Christians. It is all to no purpose. You do but attract the world and make it Make it fail the more, or fall the more in love with our religion. The more you mow us down, the thicker we, the thicker we rise. The Christian blood you spill is like the seed you sow. It springs from the earth again and fructifies the more. In other words, he's saying the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Go for it. Take our lives. What you will do is you will cause Christianity to explode. This is what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced that Satan has figured out. He still, he still pushes the world to persecute and kill Christians, seeking to cause them to cower. And in some places, it's awful. We have brothers and sisters right now this morning who, as they gather, do not know whether or not somebody will walk in their church, burn the building, and kill the people inside. We do not suffer under that. We do not have that threat. It's, it's the intensity, the heat is growing on us. But I really believe that Satan has really figured out that the best way to make the church unfruitful is not through persecution, it's through prosperity. We get comfortable. We come in at a nice building and we, we can get up when we want to. We can watch on a live stream. We, we don't, you know, sometimes we don't even have to get out of bed. We can just leave our pajamas on. It doesn't cost us much of anything. That's what causes Christianity to go dormant in a culture. I believe that is one of the reasons we're seeing the faith once for all delivered to the saints, growing cold here. Christianity is not spreading in our context. But around the world, and especially in the places where the persecution is the hottest, and people are dying for their faith the most, Christianity is exploding. Sub-Sahara Africa, the Middle East, one of the biggest hotbeds for the growth of the gospel right now is in Iran, who is always in the top three of the worst countries to live in as a Christian. They are sending missionaries all over the Middle East from Iranian churches to other Muslim peoples. They tried to kill Christianity in China, closed the doors, and they estimated there were just a few million Christians. When they opened the doors again, it was hundreds of millions. They have no idea how many people, and there are estimates that by 2035, the Christians will outnumber the non-Christians in China. And the government is responding right now by going, let's kill more the blood of the martyrs, the seed of the church. There is a call in this story this morning as we wrestle with it to understand that this idea that we call Christianity is a call to something deeper than maybe what we make of it. What's happened in the story, we're, we're working through, if you're, you're a guest, we're working through uh, this book called Acts. It is a story, it's a narrative. It's a giant story that starts 50 days after the death of Jesus and resurrection of Jesus, and is going to take us through the first 30 years of the spread of Christianity. And what's happened so far is that God has gotten everybody out of trouble. There's been moments where danger was coming. And so first we had Peter and John who were kind of arrested and brought before the Sanhedrin, which is kind of the Supreme Court of the day, and they just warned them, no more preaching. And they went out and they went right back to preaching Jesus, making much of Jesus, making Jesus known in the city of Jerusalem. Uh, a, a little while later, the whole 12, these 12 followers that we call the apostles, were all brought before the same tribunal. They were arrested, but God in his Glory chose to let them free. And in the middle of the night, they, he, he opens the 
jail door, they leave, and they go right back to the temple, and they start preaching again. We talked about this. I don't know that I would do that. I would be like, hey, I'm free. I like my life. I don't want to get beat up. I'm going, like, getting out of town. But they go right back into the center of everything where the biggest crowds are, and they start making, making much of Jesus and reminding these Jewish people that Jesus is their long-awaited Messiah. And as they are preaching Christ, people are coming to faith in Jesus, the church is growing, the gospel is spreading in this city. But up till now, everything has happened in Jerusalem. They rearrest them, bring them, and they beat them up. They whip them and beat them up. And what we have here is the story that the, the apostles leave, they threaten them with their lives, and there's this one man who stands up and says, it might not be a good idea to kill these guys. You may cause more problem than you want. And so they beat them up, and the apostles leave. But when the apostles leave, what, what, you, what you see is that they leave rejoicing that they've been counted worthy to suffer for the cause of Jesus. But they, they left. And so you're reading Acts, you go, oh, this is the way God works. You might get roughed up, but eventually God's going to set you free. Jail doors are going to open. You're going to get out of this, Right? And then along comes this guy named Stephen. We're told in Acts chapter 6 that he's a man who's full of the Holy Spirit. He has made one of these early leaders of the church that becomes responsible for the care of widows in the congregation. Uh, he is a man who just has power. We find out that he is preaching in a Greek-speaking Jewish synagogue in Jerusalem. And people are coming to faith like crazy under his preaching and teaching in the synagogue. But they bring him before this Supreme Court. They charge him with some crimes against the Old Testament law. And John Park, one of our elders, so, so beautifully explained to us how Stephen stood in front of these and with the, the glory of God on his face shining like Moses in the Old Testament, opened the whole of Scripture and showed how all of Scripture leads to the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the same time, reminded them that every step of the way when God raises up deliverers, the Jewish people as a whole rejected them. With Joseph and Moses and and now they stand in line because the ultimate gift that God had sent as a deliverer was Jesus. But they were the ones who had killed the Messiah. He just boldly looks at these people and says that. And, and you're reading the story, you're like, all right, how's God going to get this guy out? How's God going to solve this one? Here? Like, there's got to be a trick. He's trapdoor, right? He's going to get set free. And, and, and these people get angry, they gnash their teeth, they start shouting out, they bull rush him, this, this mass rush, they grab him and throw him into the streets. They, they, the, the, the Sanhedrin does what they do often. Uh, they decide they don't want a public execution like Jesus for the world to see. They just say, this man ought to die, throw him in a seat. And they got more than enough people who will do their bidding, who takes Stephen, throws him down, and with shouts and screams and anger, starts grabbing the biggest rocks they can, and they start pelting him, and they stone him to death. It is an awful, awful way to die with an angry mob doing it. And then it tells us that Stephen fell asleep. That's, that's a beautiful picture of dying in Christ. But it means he died. There, there was no rescue. There, there was no get out of jail free card. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200, all right? There, there's, there's a bloody, beaten, dead man in the street. It leads to a persecution. Meanwhile, devout men... Chapter 8, verse 2 tells us that devout men 
followers of Jesus who were willing to risk their life come grab Stephen's body because the plan from their perspective was to leave his body in the street is a sign of stop preaching Christ. Devout men come and buried the body of this first martyr. And a persecution in Jerusalem breaks out. What we find from the text is very interesting that two fires are lit in this story. There are two fires that lit that burn all the way through the rest of the book of Acts. They burn past, these two fires burn past Acts into the first century, into the second century, into all of Christian history. And these two fires are ablaze today in the world. The first fire that is lit is the fire of persecution. Jesus warned us if we really want to live for Christ, if we really want to honor him, we will have enemies. And he told us that we will have enemies, and and our call with our enemies is to love our enemies and to pray for our enemies, not to go to war with our enemies. I'm not sure we understand this in our current cultural context of Christianity. I think we see people on the other side as our enemies that we are to fight against instead of people who need the gospel. But here's the early Christians, I understand they would have enemies and they were to love and pray for those enemies and reach those enemies with Jesus. And they kept doing it. And so this, this, this fire of persecution breaks out and it just keeps going and going. And there are stories all through church history of people who are dying for their faith, but it's not just that they, that they die, it's how they die. That these people go to their death like Stephen. Look at the beauty in this story of Stephen going, Father, forgive them. He sounds like Jesus, right? The last two phrases out of his mouth sound exactly like Jesus dying on the cross. He looks like Jesus in his death. You know why? Because he knew Jesus. Christ is transforming his life and leading him to this point. And the fire of persecution, he he ends up giving his life for the cause of the gospel. First Christian martyr. And it lights the fire of the gospel to the nations, to the ends of the earth, to all peoples. That's what happens in this text. It's one of my favorite passages, even though it is so hard, because the stuff that is, like there are little themes, and I'm gonna tease these themes out, I'm gonna get them. Can't preach the whole idea of the theme, but I'm gonna tell you what goes, because there is so much in this story that creates the sight line for these two fires. And what God does here is just nuts. But Stephen's dead. And the question we need to wrestle with, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Like, is this kind of faith, is this kind of Christianity, what, what we want is, you know, just this idea of, I just want enough of Christianity just to get through my life and wake up in the morning. The type of Christianity says, not only will I give my life if called to, am I willing to die? Am I willing to be persecuted? Am I willing to suffer for Christ? Am I willing to be stoned in the street or, or, or lit on fire for the cause of the gospel? And Part of me goes, yes, I would be. But then another part of me goes, oh, I don't know if I could do it. I don't know if I could go through, but there is a promise in here for that. But you need to understand, we don't get to where Stephen is in our death if we don't have the type of faith that Stephen has to begin with. The spirit-filled, passionate, I am all in for Christ kind of understanding of the gospel. This is, this is lacking in our culture. We are on fire for everything. Christ is just a sideshow. Do you know what today is? Church calendar, another quiz. You ready? What is today in the church calendar? It is Pentecost today. Today is the 50th day after Easter, actually after Good Friday. 
It is the celebration across the church of the day that Christ sent his spirit on the believers that we have. And today is the celebration. And we are here looking at a man who was filled with the spirit. What is that all about? I have a bucket here to kind of picture this. This is what so many of us, this is like, this is my life, right? And so many of us want this type of faith where what I want is I want God to take his cup and just pour a little bit into me, a little bit more of me. But I, 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 like, I want my bucket to have, like, be what it, I want it to be. And I just, I want enough of God. I, Lord, pour yourself into me. Help me out. Help me do the things that I want to do. Help me live my dreams. Help me pursue my thoughts. Help me be all that I want to be. This is the Christianity that, that is, is sold all over the place. You can buy books off of all kinds of bookshelves. They'll tell you that God's goal is for you to have what you want, and that's what Christianity is. That is not the Christianity that we see in Stephen and the Christianity we see in the Scriptures. God, just pour, a little, pour yourself into me, a little cup at a time. Let me come to church and get a cup full of you. Let me, let me pray my prayer every once in a while, get a cup full of you. What we see in Scripture is the type of Christianity where the bucket is submerged in the ocean. Given fully to something outside of itself. The type of faith that says, I don't just want a little cup. I, I want the ocean of God's glory and goodness. And I want to give myself so that the current of the ocean can take me wherever it wants, but it will never stop filling me. Which, which type of faith do you have? Little cup here and there? Or the type of faith that says, no matter what the cost, no matter what the call, no matter what it takes, I will follow Jesus. I will lay aside my idols and pursue him. That's what Stephen's story causes us to wrestle with. And we have to look and ask our question, ask the question, is it worth it? Is it worth it for us to live that kind of faith? Is it worth it for me to look at my dreams, my hopes, my aspirations and say, those no longer rule my life. What rules my life is the will of God. To look at the areas of sin that I keep holding on to, hoping Christ will just be okay with it, and giving those away in full repentance, of, of seeing my life not as my own, where if God wants to use me on little things over here, that's cool, but I have my dreams. Young people, are, are you charting a direction for your life that says, all right, I have my life laid out. I, I'm going to do this. I'm going I'm to get this type of college, go to this type of college. I'm going to get this type of job. I'm going to, to work in this type of industry. I'm going to make this type of money. I'm going to find this type of husband or this type of wife. I'm going to live this type of life. I'm going to be able to do the things I want to do. I'm, I'm going, to, going to go to places I want to go. I'm going to get involved in the activities I want to get involved in. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to church and just ask God to sprinkle some blessing on that. Or are you prepared to say, my life is yours wherever you want me to go? Whatever you, I resign myself to the glory of God and nothing else. Enough of this, like teenagers, enough of this mealy mouth Disney version of what your life ought to be. It will not satisfy, it will not work. If you want your life to matter and you want your life to be full, the only place you can go is Christ. All in. You hear me? Resign yourself to this. But, but what happens if the culture rejects me? What happens if 
I can't get a job because I claim Christ. What happens if my beliefs and my understanding of the, the, the way God designed us and created us puts me in conflict with a world that is dedicating a whole month to something that is not God's perfect purpose for us, and I won't celebrate that, and, and it costs me. What happens? Is it worth it? Is it worth it to live this kind of life? Is it worth it to end up even bloody and dead in the streets? And what Stephen's story does is it gives us little hints, little clues that says, yes, even if it ends here, it is so worth it. Christ is so worth it. You hear me? Like, all right, amen? Is anybody in here? Like, am I it? I hope not. And when I say am I it, I'm telling you, I, every day, the old dead me wants to grab the bucket and pull it out of the ocean and live my, my own desires. Is it worth it? The answer is yes. Yes. And here's bloody Stephen, but there's some clues, beautiful clues in this text. And that's what I want to point out. I want to show you that just like Christ, he was not unfaithful. Jesus was not unfaithful to Stephen. You're like, but he died. Yes, he died, but he was beaten bloody. Yes, but it, it was stones and it was horrible. Yes, and look at what happened. He was not unfaithful. And if we were to, if God were to open heaven and let Stephen stand before us, we were to say, Stephen, what do you think? He would be declaring to us clearly that giving my life for the cause of Christ was the best thing that I ever did. But you don't get there just dying, you get there living. And so what happens in this story gives us hints. And let me show you just a few reasons from the text, four reasons today, why this sort of bold, loving Jesus faith is worth it. If, if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, I hope that for some of you today is a benchmark where you say, okay, enough of this playing the game stuff, I'm in. And for those of you who are like, man, you're coming on strong today, I just want to tell you, this is the only path to any life that has any meaning. You've been around some Christians that are miserable and angry and awful. Let me tell you, those are people who are claiming Christ but not sold out to him. You, you can't love Jesus like this and not have joy and not love your neighbor, even if they hate you. Just can't happen. Angry Christians in this world are angry at the world because they don't get what I'm, I'm talking about this morning, what the gospel calls us to, because if, if we are in, it's going to make us like Jesus. Therefore, our posture towards our enemies is going to be just like Stephen's here. Father, forgive them. Don't credit this, this to them. Let them meet you. Let them, let them find Jesus. It's, it's going to transform our life. So if you've had bad experience with Christians, it's probably because it's people who claim Christ, but either didn't know him fully or didn't know him at all. But here is this beautiful story of Stephen. Why is it worth it? And, and four reasons. The first one is you will find power to live. When, when you understand the type of faith that looks to Christ, and, and, and hear me, like all of a sudden this sounds like a motivational speech. You can do it. Go for it. That's not it. I don't have the power to do any of this. But there is a power that comes when my heart is fully surrendered and my will is completely um, 
sold out to the pursuit of knowing Christ and nothing else. And, and it's in the text. It, it tells us, it, like, it, the first thing, you have this angry mob, and it just says, and, and Stephen, filled with the Holy Spirit. What Luke does in his story is he bookends the Stephen story with these phrase. Acts chapter 6, Stephen is chosen. He is a man full of the Holy Spirit and power. Here in Acts chapter 8, or chapter 7, he's about to die. He is a man full of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? And, and I went to churches where being filled with the Spirit was kind of like this weird Sunday morning party trick, right? Like, and, and for a lot of us, we grew up in, in congregations and groups who were kind of afraid of, like, it's in the Bible, I want to be full of the Spirit, but every time I go to church that talks about being full of the Spirit, people are playing tambourines, dancing through the aisles. You got some crazy lady running through the crowd with, a, like, a flag, and, you know, you got people on the floor barking like a dog, and I don't know what to do with that. Well, that, that is not really what's going on here, okay? And I do think there is an experiential aspect of being filled with the Spirit. Don't, don't mishear me. These people leak. We see it in the Scripture. They're filled with the Spirit in Acts 2. They're filled with the Spirit again in Acts 4. There's this continual pursuit of all of the Spirit filling. But that Spirit comes with an empowering. And so I already quoted Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and tells them what's going to show up in their lives when they're filled with the Spirit. But it is the power to live for Christ and to honor him that shows up. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. To Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. You will receive power. You will be my witnesses. So, so hear this. What happens, what very clearly happens in the text, which is echoed in the entire book of Acts, is that, that when people are filled with the Spirit, what it does is empowers them to live out the Christ life. It, it, it shows up in, in character and fruit transformation. It is the type of feeling that gives people joy in the midst of craziness. It's, it's the type of feeling that allows us to live peaceable lives, even when the world is screaming at us, and is the type of feeling that will propel us into our neighborhood and to the nations with the beauty of Christ, to be witnesses. That, that's what it means. Like, I don't know about you, but I struggle sometimes with, I see all this power promised and I don't experience it in my life. And is the problem the scriptures? Is the problem me? Is the problem Jesus? And I think a lot of times it's because the problem really is that we expect the Holy Spirit to be about an emotion in a moment instead of an engine that sends us. That, that the Spirit will cause me, being filled with the Spirit will, will lead me as I, I submit myself, will lead me to seeing my life as being lived for something other than me. And so, so you got you to see the story, right? Pay attention to what's happening in this story. Being filled with the Spirit, Stephen proclaims the beauty of Jesus to the Jewish Supreme Court, highest possible people. They, in the story, the first, first verse of our text says they are grinding their teeth and angry, and they come rushing at him. This is at least 70 people and probably a lot more who are in there observing this. They come bull rush Stephen, and they grab him. And as they are rushing him, what happens with Stephen? He is allowed, Jesus does this. He peels back the layer between heaven and earth the invisible world that we can't see. He peels it back, and, and the gaze of Stephen gets off these people who are rushing at him. He looks up and he sees Christ and the glory of God. He sees something that 
when Moses saw it in the Old Testament, he, like, he could only see the backside, a little bit of God's glory. And Stephen sees the glory of God, and he is compelled by this. And, and, and it becomes all-consuming, and he resorts to responding to this moment with these beautiful words, last prayers of, Lord, receive my spirit. Lord, don't hold against it. They take him in the street, and they, it is an angry mob. You have to picture what is going on here is this angry mob who is so angry. They are destroying this man. And there is a beautiful, hopeful peace about him. Do you see it? Do you see the contrast between the man who's dying for his faith and the people who are killing him? Why? Because this man is empowered to both live and die for the glory of God. For the glory of God. That's where it is. It, it, It is... Lord, I live for your glory. And it's not just, Lord, to your glory, I'm going to go do what I want. It's this man who is seeing the glory of God and knowing that even now he is going to spill his blood for Christ and it's okay. Because God's glory is sufficient. The power to live, though, because it doesn't just show up when he dies. The whole story is Stephen filled with the Spirit. Whatever God commissioned him to do. You, now, you may never stand before the Supreme Court to give a defense. It may be just waking up and loving your kids well. It may be just... just learning how to, to, to navigate your neighborhood and, and to love a few neighbors and share Jesus with them and maybe just building relationships, I mean, that sort of thing. But understand this. It, it, this is where the power to live our lives in fullness comes from. It, it comes from a, a faith that says, man, I'm holding on to Jesus. There's nothing more. There, this is where the power to, 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 to experience the glory and beauty of Christ happens in us, that there is power, and, and it is worth it. It is so worth giving all of me to all of Christ because this is where you will experience that sort of power in your life. Power to overcome sin, power to walk through struggles, power, power to deal with relationships, power to see relationships restored and healed, power to see Christ work in all kinds of ways that you can't imagine right now because you have surrendered yourself to Christ, and now you're being filled with his character, his beauty, his hope, Right? Would you like that type of power? Three of you. We've got to work on our amens, folks. Not because of me. I care less if you amen me. This is good stuff. Would you like that type of power? Yeah. Second thing is you will receive affirmation from Jesus. This is so beautiful. Again, picture the angry crowd. Picture what is going on here. Picture the heat. Picture how, how they're coming at him. But what he has done is he has seen the glory of God and he has dedicated this moment to the fact that the gospel needs to be heard. That's what got him here, right? That, that, it would have been easy for Stephen to get out of this. Like he's preaching, they drag him before the Sanhedrin and just bug out. That's cool, man, I won't say anymore. It is his willingness to proclaim Christ when even there is opposition that gets them in this heat. Listen, for, for us in our culture, it will be really easy for us to avoid persecution. It will be easy. As it is growing, as it, as it is increasing, as, it, as there is more, like more pressure coming at us, and there seems to be a very easy talking point in our culture now to say if you hold to biblical like, truth, you're just going to be marginalized and pushed out, and we're going to begin treating you like you are 
a pariah in the worst thing in a culture, as this grows and grows and grows in our culture, uh, it, it, it will be really, really easy for you to avoid anything hard. Go to church and keep your faith to yourself. It's simple. Nobody's going to mess with you. If you just say, listen, I believe what I believe, you believe what you believe, my faith is personal, it's just mine, I'm not ever going to try to share anything with you, I'm just going to go about my life, and I will even, it points to your certain things that I know aren't true, but I, I will be, just because I need to get along in the world. You, you can avoid this. This, he is one against the world this moment. But see Jesus standing See him looking up into heaven. Now, if you're, if you're a student of the Bible, you realize in the New Testament that all the texts about Jesus in heaven show him doing what? He is always seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is always seated at the right hand of the Father. He's never standing at the right hand. He's seated. What this means is he sat down because his work is done. Jesus said, I gave my life. The, the, the penalty for your sin has been paid. Anybody who trusts in me will come to me. I'm out. It is finished. I'm done. I've done all that I have to do to secure redemption. But this, this room, this room is the throne room. It is the room where God rules and reigns with Christ at his right hand. And he is both our redeemer, but he is the judge of the universe. And, and the crowd has judged him. The crowd has said, you are guilty of blasphemy. We're taking your life. You can't say this sort of stuff. And he has this angry mob who in unison are accusing him and telling him he has done what is wrong. And at the same time, Christ stands to welcome him. We're being told in this moment that you need to get on the right side of history if you want to get along. And I'm here to tell you this morning, there is only one right side of history, and it is the side of Jesus standing to receive us. That's it. You, you get it? Like, this is hard. But why? Because we need to be arrogant and prove that we're right? No, because our neighbors who hate will turn to hating us. This crowd who is stoning Stephen, their only hope is the Lord Jesus Christ. And how will they know unless we preach? How will they know unless they hear? How will they know unless our lives are, are, are just saturated with the saltiness of Jesus and our lips are filled with the desire to make him known? You can acquiesce to the culture. Christ will stay seated and, and you will gain the approval of the crowd and they will spend eternity separated from Christ because there will be a day where he stands again in judgment of them. And if they don't hear and know, they have no hope. And so here Christ stands in approval. Stephen says, well, uh, receive me, Lord Jesus. And Jesus stands to welcome him into glory. It is worth it because the affirmation of Jesus against the cries of the world is so worth it. It is way better to hear what Jesus says in Matthew 25, 21, where he looks at, at, at his followers and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come enter into the joy of my salvation. Like, those words are better than any accolade, any fame, any, any position, any value, any being written up in a paper or people retweeting and liking your Instagram and Facebook. The word of Christ standing to affirm and welcome you into his glory is better than all of that. It is worth it. Third reason is because Stephen gets dying grace. He gets dying grace. And I don't have to preach this out. You see it. I've been with all kinds of believers of Jesus when they were near or at or even have going into heaven. 
and death just becomes this beautiful portal into the presence of Christ. Saying, I don't think I could die that way. Don't worry about that. Just live for him. He'll take care of what it means to give you dying grace. You don't get dying grace until you die. Don't worry about dying grace at death. Live in the beauty of the grace now, and he will meet you in your death in a very beautiful way. I just, it's just true. And the, the last thing I want to tell you, and, and I had to get to this because I need to spend a few minutes, is not only is it worth it because you get power to live and because you'll receive affirmation, the, the glorious standing, welcoming you affirmation from Christ when, when you trust in him and live wholeheartedly for him. Um, you will have dying grace by the way, I, lo- I love two quotes. I'm, I'm going to hit them on this point before I go to the next one. First of all, I love what Woody Allen said this about death. He said, I'm not afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. And then you have a quote from Jim Elliott, missionary, who says this. No man is a fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's dying grace. By the way, he wrote that the day before he was martyred for the faith in South America in his journal. No man is a fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. But the fourth thing is this. You will leave a legacy that matters. What happens when, when we say, man, I'm all in. I'm going to live for Jesus. My life is a broken life, but the gospel has transformed me. And I just, I gaze on his glory. We just never know the wake of good grace that we leave from that moment and, and from our lives. We, we, we will say, man, my life doesn't matter. It's meaningless. And you just never know. And so here's Stephen dead. Everything I'm about to tell you that is in the text, his earthly life, he has no idea. Now, does God give him a glimpse from heaven? I don't know. I don't know. But this text is crazy and beautiful. Two fires like and the guy who lights one of them is, is this guy named Saul. Saul is standing over the body, holding the coats of those who are throwing the stones. So he's keeping his hands a little bit clean here, but he doesn't keep it clean for long. But he is giving approval. <clears throat> Saul then starts ravaging the church and he becomes the spearhead. Who is this guy, Saul? Well, in this moment, what we have is this man who is literally the equivalent of the bagman for the mafia for the Sanhedrin. That's what he is. Let's not mince words. He is the guy who has been sent out by the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court doesn't want to be the ones in the street. Like, they don't want to come under pressure. They don't want to come under scrutiny because they, so they just say, this guy ought to die. Next thing you know, people are killing him with stones. But, but Saul, this cat Saul, who has massive aspirations to be included in this 70, who has massive desire, man, he is a Jew of Jew. He is all in on this stuff. He is standing there giving approval and and holding the coats and making sure it happens. And then he's the one who starts going on behalf of this Jewish Supreme Court, hunting Christians down, going from house to house in the text. That's who he is. And what, what Luke does, Luke in his writing, this guy who wrote this book, okay, Acts was written by this guy named Luke. What Luke does in his writing is he introduces people in a moment, and those who know the story go, I know who that guy is. I, I, I know who that, like, he did this with Barnabas, and here's Barnabas, he sold a piece of ground, and you're like, but I, Barnabas is going to show up. He just introduces them, gets them out there, and, and, and here's Saul, and, and Saul is on the wrong side of this story, right? It's on the wrong side of the story from our perspective. Uh, any Star Wars fans here? Anybody like Star Wars? 
Again, only three of you. It's amazing. It's the same three people every time I ask a question. Uh, <clears throat> if you're not familiar with this, I've got to set this whole thing up because there's a little illustration just to get our, to, to, you know, give a moment of pause for you to think about some of the stuff. But in the Star Wars, the, the way the Star Wars movies came out, if you're not aware of this and you've been living on, like, you know, up in Iceland for the last, you know, the first three movies are actually the second three movies, all right? So in, in terms of order they came out, episode four, five, and six came out. Episode four, five, and six, we met this guy named Darth Vader, and Darth Vader is not a good guy. You know, he's got this, this he's in this life support apparatus, but he has the force, and he, you know, he just does this, and people are like choking to death, and he's just, he's awful. Like all through, you know, he's got the, you know, breath everywhere, you know, and, and, as Darth, the Darth Vader story in episodes four, five, and six happened, you begin to hear the music. Dun, 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 dun. Like the, the whole Darth Vader, dark side of the forest. And every hear, where you hear it, you're like, ooh, boo, bad guy, right? And if you're familiar with the story, what happens, and spoiler alert from 40-something years ago, uh, the first three movies are actually about the redemption of Anakin Skywalker, who is Darth Vader, okay? So, so, so you have this whole trilogy of movies where Darth Vader's a bad guy, but at the very end of the last movie, he gets turned and saves his son's life and all that kind of stuff. Another spoiler, sorry if you haven't seen it, but there you go. Uh, but but you, like, you despise until the very end. You're like, I hate this guy. What am I supposed to do with this? But, but he saves the day and saves his son, and there's this whole moment where, you know, he, he turns back and yes, there was good in him and all that kind of stuff. But then what they did is they said, we really feel like the audiences need to know the backstory. And more important, George Lucas says, I like money. <laughs> and so he made the first three movies that told the prequel. And the whole story is about Anakin Skywalker before he turns to the dark side. And he's got the force and all this sort of stuff, even as a, a little kid. And the first time we meet Anakin, and this, is, this whole story is getting us to here, okay? First time we meet Anakin, he is this little kid living on this weird planet, and he drives the speeder, and he wins this race, and they realize he has the force and all that kind of stuff. And you are watching this little kid, and you're like, he's so dang cute. I want to like him, but I know where his story goes, Right? And in, in one point, because there are very few moments of brilliant movie making in the first three movies, just so you know. But one of the points where they did have a moment of brilliant movie making is there's a moment where Anakin Skywalker is standing right side of his mom's house by himself. Now, everywhere you hear Darth Vader, it's the whole orchestra. Right, you get it with me? And I'll stop singing. They will not. I got one little bit here, but sorry. Uh, Here's Anakin, this little kid who's so dang cute. And what they do is in the backdrop, one violin. Just one little. If what you hear is you hear it, you go, I know where the story goes. I can't fall in love with this kid. He is not going to be okay. It's not going to be okay. Listen, here's what Luke's doing. Here's what Luke's doing with Saul. Stephen's dead on the ground, and here's Saul. Do you hear the one chorus? But it's not about the bad guy. This is the guy 
who Christ is going to gloriously save, who will take the gospel to the nations, but he is standing giving approval. He is holding the coats. He is the one who starts persecuting. And I want you to see the death of Stephen in the text. This is Acts, the way Acts is structured. Two crazy things are happening that you barely see it here. You just hear one little violin, but it goes forward. Here's the first thing, that Saul starts a persecution People, there are tens of thousands of believers in Jerusalem and they must flee for their lives because you're a Christian and you went to the community group next door and Saul just showed up at the house next door and just took your community group leaders off to prison. And you go, man, we got to get out of here. If we're going to hold on, like they know that we've followed Jesus. We've got to go. And they start fleeing and they flee all over the Roman Empire. We're told in the text that they go to Judea and Samaria, but it keeps telling us, but they were here and they were here. They flee all over the Roman Empire, right? And these people go running thinking, what am I going to do now? I'm alone. There's no other Christians. We're Jewish people. There's just a small community of Jews. What are we going to do? And I can see these people. They get in their town and for week after week after week, they are praying, God, we have trusted in Christ, but nobody else in our city knows Jesus. Would you, for the love of God, send somebody to preach Christ here? We, we, we want to do it, but we just don't know what to do. Will you send somebody? And can you imagine their shock? When the person who shows up and answers that prayer is Saul of Tarsus, who is Paul the Apostle. It's the story. They are in these towns alone for sometimes decades. And it will be this guy, this guy, who shows up to preach Christ in their city and plant a church in their city that will bring the gospel to them. Only God tells those stories. Don't tell me that neighbor who hates you can't be redeemed for the cause of Christ. Don't tell me that boss who is making your life awful cannot be rescued. And what starts the story is a dead man in the street who was martyred. He had no idea that his death would light this fire. But he does. And we're going to come back to this theme. We're going to start showing you where this happens. It happens in Antioch in a huge way. We'll get there. But the other thing that happens here is that Christ is going to save this guy. It's a glorious story. You have to come back later to hear that part, right? Christ is going to save this guy. And when he does, this guy is going to start writing letters. He is the theologian of the scriptures. The magnum opus of his writing is going to be the book of Romans. He is going to help us understand what Jesus did in a way that just takes us to the deep end of the gospel. And what he is going to do is he is going to help us see so clearly how the Old Testament points us to Jesus. Now watch this. Luke told us in the introduction to the Gospel of Luke in, in, the, in the, the book of Acts that he got his information from eyewitnesses. How does Luke know about the speech of Stephen? There's only one option. His friend, the apostle Paul, told him the story. And you start reading Paul's theology of the Old Testament, it is Stephen's speech put on paper. Stephen had no way to know. But it was worth it. We have the book of Romans and the gospel to the nations because of a death in the streets. 
I don't know what God has for our lives. I don't know where we're going with this, but I just know that we need to hear this call to the beauty of the gospel and know that Christ is so worth all of life and even death, that's what it costs me. It is that type of faith that will lead to the gospel to our neighbors and the nations. And so I hope you're in I am. I hope you have a love for Christ. Soren Kierkegaard said this, the tyrant dies, his rule is over. The martyr dies, and his rule begins. Let's give our lives for Christ, for the cause of Christ. We've called this to be continued. You know the whole Batman stories? Those old Batman TV shows. And I remember one where they had Batman and Robin laying on this table. And there's this saw about to cut him in half. And he can't reach his tool belt. And is this the end? Like when you read this story, if all you read is this story, you're like, man, this is crazy. Is this how the story ends? He's dead in the streets. Christians have scattered. Christianity is defeated. Will, will anything happen from this? And the answer is, same bad time same Acts channel. You're going to have to come back future to see how the gospel actually spreads and what happens from this. But in this moment, we have to remind that it costs the death of a believer. And there are people all over the world who are suffering for the cause of Jesus even this morning. The, uh, they went into, in the early 1900s, the study of an African pastor who'd been martyred. And they found this on his desk. And as we prepare to sing to Christ and worship him, so our band's gonna come up and, and lead us, and we, we remember what Christ has done for us and celebrate him, I want you to hear the words called The Fellowship of the Unashamed, words that were written by this African pastor that were found after he had died for his faith, after he had joined the witness of the martyrs. I am a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of his. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My presence makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished with the low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, Tamed visions, worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudity, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith. I lean on his presence, walk by patience, am uplifted by power and labor by uplifted by prayer and labor by power. My pace is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My weight is rough. My companions are few. My guide is reliable and my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, or of the adversary, negotiate at the table of the enemy, pander at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up, until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go till he comes, give till I drop, preach till I'll know, and work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he'll have no problem recognizing me. My banner will be clear. That's Stephen, is it us? That's the question. 
And is it worth it? Absolutely. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus and you're like, wow, that was heavy and intense, I, I agree it was. The death of a, a saint in the street is a, is a heavy thing, but I want to tell you it is worth it. And today at the end of our service, we will have people over here, if you want to talk more about what it means to trust in Jesus, follow Jesus, he is good and he died for you. You can trust him with your whole life and we'd love to talk to you. If you're here today and you're struggling, you've got any prayer needs, you've got pains and, and just, or doubts and struggles, we would love to have a conversation. We'll have people right over here who are willing to pray with you. But we together now are going to stand and worship Jesus and celebrate him. We're going to collect an offering as an act of, of remembering what Christ has done for us. If you're a guest, we don't expect you to give, but it is a chance for all of us to give back. And we're going to celebrate Jesus. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. Lord, we love you today. Help us, Lord, to honor you with our lives. Just even today, help us draw lines in the sand, not lines of our own self-will that I can make it, but lines that say, Lord, my life is wholly yours. Today I will take up my cross and follow you. And I just pray that as, as you do that in us, that you will raise up a people who are, who love their enemies like you loved yours, but who are willing to say clearly that Christ is our only hope. In your name I pray, amen.